Hi, all you cave dwellers, and welcome to the Cavern Podcast. The Cavern Club, the most famous club in the world. From the Beatles and the Stones to the Arctic Monkeys and Adele. Join us on our podcast for Cavern Conversations. Each episode, we talk to a special guest with real Cavern connections. Welcome to the Cavern Podcast. Welcome to the Cavern Podcast. I'm your host, John Keats, and you are listening to Series 1, Episode 1. So in years to come, when we're all old and grey, you can say you were there right at the beginning. I'm already old and grey, so I'm just happy to be here, to be honest. Right, our first guest, surprisingly, is best known as an actor, a Hollywood A-lister, in fact, but we're not here to talk about this because he's also an accomplished seasoned musician with many albums under his belt, most of them with his band, The Boxmasters. He's a Cavern Club Wall of Famer, a huge Beatles fan, as we will find out. In fact, he just wants to be a Beatle. Joined by his bandmate, J.D. Andrews, welcome to the Cavern Podcast, the legendary Billy Bob Thornton. Good, thanks for having us on. Oh, absolute pleasure. Oh, yeah. No, it's 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 an honor. Yeah, no, this is very exciting. No, it's great. And it's because we're looking at it, I just said before we started recording, it should go okay because we've got matching white beards so that's always a good point. We're okay. There's a piano in the back of J.D. Andrews, so hopefully, you know, if it goes, the conversation <laughs> is, is stilted, maybe a little tune on a piano would be fine. Uh, welcome to the cavern. And this, we're not actually in the cavern, by the way. You'll see the, the backdrop. This is uh, a, a fake cavern backdrop in our podcast studio, but we are on Matthew Street in Liverpool, uh, the legendary nice. Matthew Street. <laughs> uh, so yes. you you were here in July. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that gig. You were here... The first time Billy Bob in 2002. We're going to talk about that. But I thought, really, I mean, the Boxmasters formed uh, in 2007, I believe. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, sort of 2006, okay. really. Yeah. And, and prior to that, you'd, you'd, been, you'd been solo pretty much. Well, you'd been playing with lots of bands, which, again, we, we, I want to go back to what got you into it. Because, I mean, there's throughout this chat, I'm sure the Beatles are going to be coming in and out of this conversation. Uh, and I'm, look, I'm looking at JD and you're, I'm, I'm trying to not guess the age, but I think you were possibly about the same age. And so yeah. I, I didn't... He's a couple years older. I could, yeah, yeah, I thought he's had a hard paper round. Um, I, I didn't see the Beatles on the 7th of February, 1964, on the Ed Sullivan show, but, but you did, Billy Bob? Absolutely. Uh, I think me and everybody else in the world at the time, you know, um, I was eight years old when I saw him, you know, on an old Zenith black and white television. And we'd already gotten the magazines and everything in America, you know, so there was the big buildup, you know. And then when they came on Ed Sullivan, everybody was glued to their television sets. And uh, it was just a even though it came from other things, I mean, you know, without Buddy Holly and Chuck Berry yeah. and Little Richard, there would have been no Beatles. But, uh, you know, it, it came back to us in a way because we all loved rock and roll. And, and all of a sudden, these guys bring this sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, some sort of new sheen to it. You know, it was like a thing that, oh, wow, you know, all this little 
eight-year-olds, we can do this. That's what yeah. we wanted to be. I mean, the second I saw the Beatles, that's all I ever wanted to be. But unfortunately for anybody of that era who, who were freaks for the Beatles, the bar was set so high that we've spent the rest of our lives trying to achieve something we're never going to achieve, just like everybody else, because nobody's ever going to be the Beatles. Nobody's going to be Elvis, mm-hmm. you know. And so it was very... Uh, very daunting, but in my first band, we had no instruments. We were, you know, eight, nine years old. So we used brooms and like trash can lids and stuff like that. And everybody in my town, we had a lot of bands in my little town of 10,000 people in Arkansas. And um, so everybody was trying to play Beatles songs once we did get instruments, when we're like, you know, 11, 12, right in there. And uh, so we thought, let's be different. We'll be the Dave Clark Five, which were the Beatles' rivals, right? Yeah, yeah. So we actually started out by playing, uh, you know, Glad All Over and Catch Us If You Can and things like that, just to be different. But then that only lasted a few months, and it's like, no, we got to play these. We got to be the Beatles. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they were, up, up, you know, they had great songs, great hits, but they were a poor substitute. Who wasn't a poor substitute for the Beatles? As you say, they set the bar so high. That's ridiculous. Uh, the thing, you know, they did everything, didn't they, for the first time? I mean, I can imagine you seeing that on the Ed Sullivan show. You know, America seeing that seventy-three million people. They did. They they looked like no one else as well, didn't they? The whole package that yeah. was there. These guys, you know, we we didn't have bands in those days. We, you know, over here would have Cl- maybe Cliff Richard and the Shadows, and you know, it was sure. all it was. It was still coming from that safe end of rock and roll. These guys, they look like nobody else. And and, and yeah. every whenever you see anything of the Beatles, we, we were talking before about something, you know, the recent Get Back series. Whatever period of the Beatles, they always looked so cool. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, it yeah. was everything, yeah. wasn't and it? We changed. it? We changed with them, too. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's funny you were saying you, um, you started off with brooms and stuff. The mm. Cavern, in when the Beatles played, because he played here 292 times, two, a two-and-a-half-year mm. period, and the owner of the Cavern at the time, he, he took over. He was The original owner uh, was um, Alan Sittner, because it opened as a mm. jazz club originally in 57, and he, they right. were letting a bit of the skiffle music that was coming in, which turned into Merseybees. Um, but Ray McFall, his accountant, took over in 59, and it was him who owned the Cavern through that period. He booked the Beatles for the first time. You know, without him, there would be nothing. You know, we wouldn't be having this conversation because he was the one who was more a um, loud rock and rolling. But the funny irony of it is, I've become, uh, well, we all have, he's become a good friend of ours. Um, his son, Peter McFall, well, when the Beatles were happening in the cavern, he was the, him and his, his brother and his, I think two brothers, they were all about nine or ten years of age. And they were doing exactly what you were doing. They were going mm. on stage in the cavern with instruments that they borrow off. The, there was a junior cavern, and they go on there and mime to Beatle records. And, the oh, Be- wow. and years later, I think it was well, uh, the cavern, <laughs> the cavern's 40th anniversary, we unveiled the Wall of Fame, which you, you are in, obviously. Mm. Um, and they've even got a brick in the Wall of Fame for those gigs they used to mime when they were 10 years of age because their name, <laughs> the name of the band was in the diary. And that wall was put together. So they were doing exactly the same. But, you know, slightly better maybe because they were on the cavern stage doing it at 10. But that's where you start, isn't it? 
Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, you mentioned the skiffle music and all that. Because of the Beatles, and this is the great thing, when you get a sensation, it causes you to study their history. And through them, you learn about where they came from, too, which was interesting because before the Beatles, we didn't have a clue who Lonnie Donegan was. Yeah, you know, we didn't know he was like the Woody Guthrie of yeah. Liverpool and in, in that world, you know. And and then, you know, and all of a sudden you're listening to Scylla Black and you're listening to Lonnie Donegan and you're listening to all the other people who were around there, like you said, Cliff Richard and the Shadows. And so, you know, it, it's, um, I, I mean, I, I've always loved surf music. J.D. and I both love that. And so to hear Hank Marvin and people like that, that we didn't really know. I mean, we mm. knew the Ventures, yeah, but we didn't know that England had their own version of the Ventures with the Shadows, you know. And so through the Beatles, we learned a lot of history about skiffle music and the music of that era and the, and that area, you yeah. know, uh, through them. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I said about the Cavern opening as a jazz club, and, it, and the guy who opened it, you know, it, it was he was very strict, but it was interesting even on the opening night, uh, 16th of January, 1957. All these dates are in my mind all the time. But that, <laughs> there was like three jazz bands, but there was a skiffle band on that opening night because even oh. then it was becoming everyone in 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 Liverpool was was forming bands because of Elvis, because of Buddy Holly, you know. Buddy Holly famously came and played in Liverpool, and all the, everyone of a certain age claimed they were there, which wasn't possible. But they were they were all. <laughs> it, it was all this, this skiffle, and it became you know it was such a creative time. I mean, I know Billy. I know you're a, a, a huge fan of Jerry Marsden, Jerry and the Pacemakers, and a fr you know you you were friends with him. Again, we'll get into, into talking about that. But um, what 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 was the journey after that musically for you? Because we'll we'll get to you, JD. Because you you know we're still. I don't think you're born yet. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe JD's just about to be born in this period of music. <laughs> was that it for you? As you know, when the Beatles and and the start, were you doing music throughout then? Was that it? you know, has yes. always been the case. What my first actual band was when I was about 12. And um, <clears throat> we were called the McCoveys after a baseball player uh, from the San Francisco Giants. Right. And because uh, we thought it sounded like a 60s name, you know. There's a band over here called the McCoys. Right. And, uh, and so um, the, the Rick Derringer actually was in. And... Um, so on my little drum kit, because when I saw Ringo, it was like, I want to be like Ringo, you know? And uh, so uh, I got my little kit from through the Sears catalog, which had cardboard heads and everything, and I painted the name, the McCoveys, on it with a crayon. And uh, But, you know, we played, you know, stuff like House of the Rising Sun and, you know... Yeah. Uh, she loves you, and you know we did things like that. And uh, uh, so after that, in junior high school, we actually started having gigs, and mostly like birthday parties and things like that. And we played at the PTA club meeting at the school, and you know that kind of thing. And then in high school, I was just in a band like all the other guys around there, and we had we had local heroes. There was a band called the Yardleys in our town. They were several years older than us. And they were sort of the Beatles of our town, yeah, you know, yeah. and we, we would look at them just in wonder. And that name, the Yardleys, came because 
everybody over here, because of the success of the British invasion, everybody wanted a name that sounded English, right? Okay. So there was Yardley of London, you know, the perfume line and all that. So they named themselves after that. But we started playing high school dances and then college fraternity parties. And then, you know, and it worked into by the time I was 16 or 17, we were in a full on rock band that opened for a lot of big names, actually, because they used to hire local acts to open for the big name acts. Were you still doing covers at this point or you started doing original stuff? We started doing original stuff probably when I was about 17. Uh, and, that's, that's uh, about right, really, isn't it? I think you've learned your chops at that point. I think it's a yes, similar story. Exactly. So probably it was all, you, you then you, okay, now we start doing our own stuff. Yes, that's exactly right. Because And we read the articles about the Beatles, you know, about how they had had a talk and said, we have to play original songs and this kind of thing. So it's like, yeah, I guess that's, where the deal is, we didn't know about publishing yet and how if you ever got successful, it was really important to write your own songs. But we yeah. did it just because it seemed cooler and it was just a more creative thing for us because we kind of mastered, you know, playing the, whatever hits you played at the dance, you know. Um, and uh, so then we got into songwriting. And I have to say the early songs, uh, you can look back on them now and you can kind of see where you were headed eventually, yeah. but they're pretty. Some of them are pretty dreadful, and uh, a, a lot of times you're, the the lyrics would be uh, really just kind of rip offs of what you were hearing other people say, you know. And uh, you, we didn't that, get that's, into that's the, way the other. You, stuff. That's the way you learn, though, isn't it? You know that you that's well, the starting yeah. point. That's I, your influences. I, I yeah. listen. I listen to my stuff. I. I stopped writing for many years i listened to my stuff and i can go oh yeah that's when my favorite band was this band that's when i was right. listening to that band but it's <laughs> you know, you know well, we, we even went through we went through a period went through a period when the british uh, bands especially there are a few here but mostly in england uh had the art rock bands and you know and all that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. and everything was very fancy and it was all about you know, fairies and the hedgerow and, you know, or whatever it was. And, uh, did you, you know, did very you, sort did, of like, Did you have flutes and things? I hope you had flutes in the in know, at this point. We had a violin at one well, point. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that, but, uh, that, that'll do, that'll do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I even listened to bands like Gentle Giant and the Straubs and, you know, with oh, the yeah, folk, yeah. you know, and, uh, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But Fairport Convention, I, you know, I would just do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So everything was about... Uh, uh, it was it was like the the album uh, John Barleycorn Must Die by Traffic. I was a big Traffic fan, and and so we started to want to be one of these more artsy British bands. You know, I, I love the, the fact that it's always a British band. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really was. And of course, I'm like mainly English, so maybe it's in the blood. But the thing is, is we started. We thought, well. We now have to wear satin clothes with the satin jacket open with no shirt with some medallion. Perfect. And I was in a band that didn't last long, but I remember we had to have a fancy name. So we named ourselves Ecclesiastes, which is a you know a book in the Bible. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't I couldn't have said a, a, a finer name. Uh, you know what? It's, I've got the same stories, like completely to do with the eighties, right? I don't know if you know the 80s band from uh, Liverpool, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Yes, of course. O- yeah. OMD. 
uh, one of my favourite bands. And I've sort of got to know them over the years because then things change and they, we've, I've done stuff with them and whatever. And I remember the embarrassment. And I was, as, it was, as the words were coming out of my mouth, I was saying, don't say it, John, don't say it, don't say it. <laughs> when, and I said it and told them that, you know, yeah, we used to come see you at Eric's on Matthew Street. There was the, the punk club there. And um, we formed a band because we loved orchestral maneuvers. And we were called Illuminated Structures, which was just, <laughs> which was just the, it was just the worst <laughs> rip. And he, he just, Andy McCluskey just looked at me. He was like, I think it was with pity. So we've all done that. We've all done it. That's part of the journey. Uh, JD, what, what, t tell us something embarrassing from your musical journey. What, 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 what kicked it off for you? Well, um, mine was, I mean, I started, I didn't play with brooms, but we cut guitars out of cardboard. And I remember for my uh, sixth grade talent night, um, I was a big Beach Boys fan. And so that was kind of my, my first um, band that is i was obsessed with and so we mimed california girls with our cardboard guitars but you know i used to uh record um the radio every saturday night because especially when it was beatles nights but for the most part i didn't listen to the pop music of my time i listened to what was called solid gold saturday night and oh, i would okay. sit there and tape all the all the music off of there and, you know, special nights were Beatles nights. And I can remember telling my sixth grade teachers, like, oh, I stayed up, to, you know, super late last night recording the Beatles songs off the radio. And I had the records, too. But, you know, or I had a couple of the records. And I had the Chipmunks um, do the the one where they had the, the Chipmunks had the Beatle wigs on the cover. I yeah. think they did a bunch of British Invasion songs. And it's like, I love that kind of that stuff. You know, I love the kids versions of the. Uh, the British invasion, but you know, I, I never, I've never been a person that listened to the music that was current. It's like, I've always, you know, gone yeah, back it, to, it sounds like, it's, the Beatles, it sounds the like you were, catching up. you were catching up with the good stuff. Yeah. Catching up with the source. Yeah, no, it totally was. It's like, I, I, uh, I always, you know, was, you know, always, I mean, Billy and I both are fans of history. And so, you know, once you see, somebody you want to find out where they came from and i i was always like okay these bands are cool let's find out where they came from and uh you know i always you know was a huge beatles fan and uh the british invasion and just all the bands of the 60s 60s i, lo I just loved it so the band was formed in 2007 what what genre? I know it's horrible this thing that genre in music has become such a thing these days, where you got to be pigeonholed. And um, I've I've seen you know attached to the boxmasters, hillbilly, rock, country, Americana, which is a huge a general genre. How, how would you describe it? Really, is hill, hillbilly is that a starting point? We're a '60s pop rock and roll band. I mean. That's really what it is. And basically what we are is a band that grew up loving the Beatles and then the bands of the of Southern California here, like the Birds, the Beach Boys, and all that kind of thing. So if you if you put all those things together, that's really what we are. We're yeah. just a rock and roll band. Unfortunately, these days, 
what little radio is left, they, they, they've compartmentalized everything. Absolutely. So when I, when I was growing up, you heard James Taylor and Johnny Cash and Black Sabbath all on the same radio station. And it was just all the cool music, pop music of the time, you know. And uh, now James Taylor's on the old guy soft rock station or whatever. And then you, uh, and there are no new rock and roll stations, you know. So, in other words, if you play original rock and roll like we do, uh, there's no station that plays it. If you listen to rock music on the radio, you're going to get classic rock, which means if they play, the classic rock songs of the time, like LaGrange by ZZ Top, Stairway yeah, to Heaven. Absolutely. And so you don't hear new music. So these bands that are still around, they have no place to be. So bands like us that have been around since, you know, like you said, 2006 or seven, they put us on Americana because they don't know where else to put us. I mean, you know, so we're on there with Amy Lou Harris and Steve Earle and Fish and whoever it is and really we're just a a band that you know has, to this day is still trying to be the beatles i mean we we're we're trying to make it every day like we act like we're kids every day well, you know well that's I, I, your, your last album 69 I, I, which which was the one you were on tour with when you came the cavern that was i was reading something and that was you almost writing a, a, an an album like it was 1969, that period of the Beatles, and was 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 that the starting point? Was it a di- di- and and did you pull it off? Well, you know, we've we've uh, done that with a couple of albums. We we've had our uh, we started out with this sort of stylized hillbilly slash British invasion mashup, just for a couple of albums, and then we started sounding like ourselves more, which in the beginning was a little more along the lines of the birds kind of sound, but with Beatle influences, but we did an album called 60, the box master 66 also, which sounds a little more, you know, more mid sixties, you know, and 69, we just, it's essentially that we play vintage instruments and we write songs that may be current lyrically, but pay tribute to the time of those records, you I mean, know. As, as a creative process, that's, I mean, that that's, mm. it, it gives you something, you know, it, it, it is a process that you can really get into and delve into and, and go right. out of comfort boxes. That, that, you know, to do that, I think that make, makes sense. It's, you yeah, know, that, it works for us, you know, I yeah. think. Uh, and we have a, you know, we have a, a really good fan base. We don't have as many fans, obviously, as Bruce Springsteen or somebody, but we have, but our little, cult following is really loyal and good and there are really people who still want that music because you're not going to reinvent rock and roll you just have to keep paying tribute to it you know it's, it's a shame because there are really great original rock and roll bands still you know going new ones coming up all the time too and i think uh, uh like i my kids are my daughter's 19 and my boys are are uh 29 and 30 and because of you know listening stuff i listened to around the house they all got into it fortunately and my son uh, played in a band for a while played bass in a band and they played a different kind of music but still he appreciated this stuff and these days they all listen to this stuff i mean you know my, my 19 year old daughter knows that uh you know ringo left during the white album and <laughs> you know i mean 
stuff like this. I mean, she listens to the Beatles channel with me, and it's she's all learned all this yeah. stuff. That's, 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 so she that's a great show. The, she knows the, the music as well as their personal lives and the whole thing, and she's very interested in it. Well, that's, I mean, that's interesting. We, we always say, I mean, people always say to us at the cabin, what's, what's the demographic, you know, you, again, everyone needs to know the detail. What's the demographic of the people going to the cabin? And I, we always say there isn't one because we've got people of all ages coming to the cabin and it's not just a mecca for the Beatles. You know, it's everybody's right. played the cabin. It's, a, it's, a, it's for music lovers and music fans. It's a place of pilgrimage. We get that. But there's so many younger people who are in the cavern listening to this music, discovering the Beatles. You know, the Beatles channel yeah. is, is a great example. And the Beatles have always, they always keep Beatles and Apple as a company. They keep the band fresh. And these kids are all discovering the Beatles as, as they would discover a new band. And then they find mm -hmm. out they've got all this back catalogue and then they can start delving into the solo stuff. And it goes on, mm -hmm. which, which really brings us right back to... Um, the very recent release of the Beatles' new single, which has gone to number one in the UK. I'm sure it's uh, number one over there. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we never expected a, a, a brand new Beatles song, did we? What, what did you think of no, it? No, we, we certainly didn't. And uh, it's uh, I, I saw the video the other day. It's amazing. And, amazing. Uh, it's really incredible to see that. I mean, it's one of those times when, because I'm a traditionalist, but then every now and then something comes up where technology allows was, was you to... Was that a pun? Now and then? Every now and then? Uh, oh, yeah. No, right, yeah exactly. There you go. I see what you did. Even, you know what? No, it honestly just slipped out. Uh, but it was... Uh, it, it's amazing to be able to see that. So it's, a, it's an example of where the modern technology meets the thing we love from our past that we're fighting for. And they come together to actually give you something that you can enjoy without being pissed off. <laughs> that the, now they're doing all these tricks. It's like wow to see them there doing this. Is I didn't know this until I was looking. You did an album um, with Jeff Emmerich. Yeah, which, right. Which I mean, I, I, I got to know Jeff uh, quite a bit a few years ago. He was involved with the, a Beatles show called The Sessions. He was musical mm -hmm. uh, consultant for that. Which was meant to be—it was meant to be touring all Europe, and then it was meant to be going to Vegas or Broadway. Uh, it didn't happen in the end. But that, so I got to know Jeff, a lovely fellow. What as as Beatle fans? I mean, what what was that like working with with Jeff? Well, we were blown away. First of all, uh, we had known Jeff for several years before this, and we met him through a, a friend of ours who runs A uh, and M Studios here, which is Henson now. Uh, and we've recorded at A&M for a long time. And uh, so we, we hooked up with Jeff there, and he, uh, after hearing a couple of our records, he said, you know, I'm a really big fan of this band. He goes, I love it because you guys have got a strong backbeat. He goes, that's missing these days. Yeah. And we were like, wow, Jeff Emmerich complimented us. Well, over the years, he would say, listen, if you ever want me to produce a record on you, please let me know. And then we had these songs together that we thought, this might be good for, for Jeff. We, you know, we'll play him some of this stuff. And, and he really went for it and loved it. And I remember the first time he played back a song that he had mixed, uh, which was ended up the first song on the record. Uh, he had done the same vocal treatment he did with John Lennon with that 
Okay. I don't, I mean, everybody doubles a vocal in rock and roll and pop, but he had a way of doing it that got this certain sound, which of course he never divulged to us. But uh, we begged him to tell us how he did this <laughs> stuff. And, uh, he wouldn't do it, but uh, it, it just had that sound. And we found out through the process of making that record a few things. We learned some things that we still institute in our records now, um, not to the degree that he did sometimes, because we found that Jeff didn't really like crash cymbals and he didn't like a lot of rhythm guitars. Oh, really? uh, so if you listen to Beatles records, when in the early days you heard thrashing cymbals and rhythm guitars, well, once, once Jeff came on as engineer and you get into the sort of revolver and, and then, you know, Sergeant Pepper and all these records, the drums are pretty much just the drums and some hi-hat. Now, now that you you've said that, I will hear that every time I, I, I'll, I'll, be, I'll yeah. be listening for that, yeah. Oh yeah, it's like wait a minute. I used all that energy, and they're not. It's not in here. As, and, as, uh, as a drummer, that's gonna you know. <laughs> but it was great. It, it was such an awesome experience. So we were honored every time we were around Jeff, and just to watch him do his thing, it was beautiful. And he was so nice to us and complimentary, and he really pushed us. He's a real gent. Um, yes. Well, I, we, as I say, we met him a few times, and then. He was meant to be, we, we do a big Beatle festival every year in, in Liverpool, International Beatle Week. And we bring, we probably bring about 70 bands from all over the world, South America, all the Japanese bands, and you know, America, everywhere. Um, and fans from all over the world. But we always have special guests. And he just agreed very kindly to come to, to Liverpool. The fall, in the, in, in, I was talking to him in maybe the September uh, and booked him. I mean, you know, it was great to get Jeff Emmerich. We've had a lot of people over the years, as you can imagine, really connected. But to get someone that connected, but unfortunately, you know, about two months later, he, he sadly passed away, which was, yeah. you know, such such a shame. A, a lovely guy, but incredible to have worked with him. Uh, we've got to talk about the cavern because you played here in July this year uh, with the Boxmasters on tour. Um, pushing your your last album was that the album that was re well written during lockdown was that was that, is that right am i getting the right info there yeah it was one of them we did like two or three during lockdown didn't we it, it went on forever didn't it <laughs> yeah right um so billy you you played here in 2002 um was so it's before the box masters that was uh, presumably in your like solo project was it a, and you did a mixture i was interested you did a mixture on that gig of covers and 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 original stuff so you're in the cavern so you must have done some beatles songs do you remember the set you know we actually didn't uh do any beatles songs uh that <clears throat> the sound of that solo band was was quite a bit different than the box masters and uh so we did some original songs of mine from I, I had four solo albums but at the time we played the cavern uh i mean i'd made my first recording in the mid 70s at muscle shells but in terms of records for a major label and you know that was out when we came to liverpool i only had one solo album out on uh, uh, uh mercury nashville or lost highway and uh, so we only had that album and we had to 
fill it in with, with some covers. <laughs> so that's that's how that happened. But what was amazing when we played there that first time, uh, it wasn't. You know how now they've got all the sort of some touristy stuff around there with the yeah. yeah. It looks kind of fancy in there. It's almost like a little mall, and then you right over there is the you, can, you can blame me for a lot of that. Oh yeah, what no? It's fantastic. It's really, it's really stepped up, you know, and everything. But when we played there, it was still just the little cavern building, yeah, yeah. you know. And, and uh, I remember uh, there was a girl on the front row who looked like a about a twenty year old version of Sissy Spacek, the actress. And she had her glasses on and long blonde hair. And I was hoping we'd see her again this time. Of course, she may not even remember this. And then. But she evidently had had our album, which had only been out a couple of weeks, and she knew every word of the songs on that album, was standing right in front of me and was singing along with it. And to be in the cavern the first time, I already had chills to start with. And to have this girl from Liverpool standing in front of me singing the lyrics on this record was so amazing to me. And So my focus was so on her that night because I was just astounded that she knew anything I did. Isn't, isn't, isn't it funny? It doesn't matter what you've done in your career before as an actor or whatever, you're all that success. This is an, these are songs that you've written. These are your songs. And she's there singing them back to you. That, it's, it's, yeah. it's a completely different thing, isn't it? Oh, it was, it was unreal. And I'd already had such a, an amazing time. And we'd made this plan because we had a, two or three days in Liverpool. Okay. First, it was scheduled to where we were able to be around there, and I'd always had this affinity for Liverpool, and when I finally did my DNA and the ancestry and all this kind of stuff, I find out that my father's family is from the Lancashire area and my mom's family is from Yorkshire, so it's all northern, oh, yeah. London, northern England stuff. And, uh, and I'm by the way, I'm like, 85% English or something, more than English people are. You know what I mean? It's crazy. You said that before, now that makes sense, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's true. More, more than me, more than me. <laughs> and so, anyway, I just love the area so much. But on the on this tour, we had planned on, wherever we played, we were going to do it in, in England, we were going to play a song by an artist that we loved from that time. We were going to open our show with that. Okay. So for... Uh, Manchester, we had we started the show with uh, The Game of Love by Wayne Fontana and the Mindbenders. And we invited Jerry Marsden to come to the show in Liverpool. We invited Wayne Fontana to Manchester's show. We invited Dave Clark to London. Right. Uh, Dave was the only one who didn't show up, but we started with Catch Us If You Can. Anyway, uh, uh, at the Liverpool show, uh, Somehow my agent was in touch with someone with Jerry and he hooked us up. So I spent the two days before we played the cavern with Jerry Marsden and his family. And they took me to lunch and I was hanging out and I couldn't believe I'm, I'm sitting there with Jerry from Jerry and the pacemakers who I watched on Ed Sullivan every time they were on. And uh, he was the nicest guy in the world. And, Probably the best anecdote of this entire thing was that uh, I asked him, I said, look, I hate to be a fan. I mean, you've already taken me to lunch. Your family's been so nice to me. Uh, I'm going to ask you something as a fanboy, and, and if you don't want to do it, please say no and just slap me in the face. 
And I, and he said, what is it? I said, would you ride the ferry across the Mersey with me? All right. And he said, I'll be happy to, because you know what a nice guy he was, you know? And he, he said, sure, I will. Uh, and so uh, we go down to where they have the turnstiles there when you get on the ferry. And it was freezing cold when we were there. We were there in the sort of fall, winterish period, you know? And our... Uh, uh, I don't even know if it was then. All I know is it was cold I, I and gray. I can tell you exactly the dates because for another reason. You played the cavern on the 3rd of April, 1992. Is that correct or I got that wrong? 2002. 2002, 2002. Right? 2002. 3rd of April, yeah. 2002. Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay, okay so, so it's still quite cold here. It was cold, yeah. It was cold and gray. And uh, my assistant, Felicia, was with me and she had the video camera. Of course, back then it was one you put on your shoulder. You know, it was a huge, giant thing. Huge. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, so we go down to the turnstiles and uh, to get on the ferry, and I'm standing there with Jerry and Felicia, and all, all of a sudden this crowd comes rushing over to us, and I, to myself, you know, with the you know undeserved ego here in this situation, uh, I'm thinking, oh great, here we go. They all ran over to Jerry. Yeah, of course. So, and, and, and I didn't know at that time that he's like the mayor of Liverpool, right? And so they come over to him, and they all get his autograph. And so for, I went from being like, oh, no, here they come, to, hey, wait a minute. What the hell's going on here? What about me? And then, <laughs> and then so once they all got their autographs and pictures of Jerry, then they came over to me, and I go, okay, I know who's boss. Yeah, I, but I, I heard that the only reason they all started coming over is you. You started very loudly uh, quoting lines from your favorite films that you've done. I actually started saying, well, you know, I was a rhythm guitar player and Jerry and the Pacemakers, I, you know. Yeah. But uh, one way or the other, we, we, we got on the uh, ferry, and... We're out there in the middle of, uh, of the river, and so I said, Jerry, I already asked you for too much, but I'll ask you one more really stupid thing. I said, would you mind just singing a few bars of the song for me? Felicia got it on videotape. I've got it somewhere. I mean, you know, Incredible. on this funky video. But uh, Jerry sang the entire song to me. Uh, while we were on the ferry, and I, I couldn't believe it. And then that night, we go to play this show, and our sh we were supposed to start at 8 o'clock. I was going to ask you about I, this. I was going to ask you about this. People, yes. <laughs> people are still complaining about this. Go on, carry on. We were supposed to start at 8 o'clock, and we went to a pub around the corner. Uh, so if you walk up from Matthew Street, you go around the corner on this other street. There's a pub right in there. Because Liverpool was playing a soccer match that night against, I think Italy, maybe somebody no, like I'll that. I'll tell you exactly because I've done my research on this one. Because <laughs> this is a, this this is a bit of a legendary story in the camp. Uh, okay. Bayer Leverkusen. Yeah. Leverkusen. There you go. German band. Uh, German band. German team. So they were playing a German team in the Champions okay. League quarterfinals. Right. Okay, well there you go. So I'm in. I'm in here with Jerry and his family, and the place was full, and they go nuts. And Jerry says, "You can't start at eight o'clock." I said, "Why not?" He said, "Nobody's going to be there. They're all going to be watching the, the football match, so nobody will be there." He goes, "Start at 10. and I go, "Well, you can't just. I mean, everybody thinks we're going to be there. What do you mean?" 
He goes, just go over to Neil, who I still know. Yeah, Neil, Neil, yeah, yeah, Neil he says and he little. goes, just go, just go to Neil and, and say, put up a, take a piece of paper and write shows at 10 and put it on the door and you'll be fine. So I said, okay. Well, then when we were done and the game was over, Liverpool won, fortunately, and we come out of there and the whole crowd of people in the, the pub were following us down the sidewalk. They were going to the show. Oh, so, so, and so I was, yeah, yeah, I was talking to people who were going to be there. <laughs> right. So, so it, it wasn't a situation where three hundred people were waiting for two hours. They were all in the pubs. No. So Jerry, he knew it. that when you were saying that about oh, Jerry said, "Don't start at eight, start at 10. That's such a <laughs> Liverpool thing to do. It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> fine, everyone's going to be in the pub. You know, he, he he was wonderful, Jerry. He was a very good friend of ours. The you know, yeah. ab- absolute gent. I think um, I, I was with his his family uh, very recently. We did a couple of charity events for um, a, a charity that Jerry uh, was involved with, and it was just before you played in July with the Boxmasters. And they they I don't think they were going to be around there, but they did ask me to say hello to you. So I wasn't oh. there in July. So they were telling telling me like their memories of oh we we spent some great time so it must have been you you obviously all got on really well and a lo- lovely family yeah, they're they're wonderful people so when you see them please tell them I said hello and and tell them I I've never forgotten how nice they were to me I've got a question one one question for you this is this is for you Billy Bob uh, if you could only be a musician or an actor. What's it going to be? I grew up obsessed with being uh, a beetle. I grew up obsessed with I, I grew up obsessed with being an animal or a kink or whatever it was. So if if I was forced, it would be it would be music for sure. Luckily, you're not forced, and you can enjoy both. <laughs> yeah, thank which, God. Which, which, thank God for that. Just a quick one, really. I mean, we, we touched on. Um, Quite a lot. I mean, have you met any of the Beatles? I mean, I don't. You know, I'm I'm thinking in in, in paths will cross. Who 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 have you met? Who have you? And how was it? It was amazing uh, and continues to be amazing. I uh, I know Paul McCartney, and uh, I I met him because we were both recording. Uh, we were making a Box Masters record at A and M Studios several years back, and. Uh, we were in Studio B, he was in Studio A. And uh, I'm a predominantly a, a vegan because of food allergies. Right. And uh, I eat fish occasionally, but uh, Paul, you know, is a vegetarian, so he would eat lunch out in the courtyard at the studio all the time. And, this, and the uh, Fariel, who is the woman who runs the studio, the studio manager, old friend of ours, she said, you and Paul have to have lunch together. You eat the same. And when she was telling me that, Paul walked into the office. And he comes in and he goes, Billy Bob. And he comes and he gives me a big hug. I started to shake hands with him. But, I mean, I was like Chris Farley on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Oh, that's such, that's, the that's, Isn't that the best sketch ever? I, it's insane. It's I was great. watching that the other day. That's, that's really strange he said that. But, so you became him. Okay. And he comes in and he says, oh, come on, give us a hug. And he does this. And I'm like, I mean, you have to understand that I was, if I had met a Beatle when I was eight, when I saw him on the Ed Sullivan show, 
I would have fainted and probably wouldn't be here right now. I'd be the only eight-year-old who ever had a coronary. I mean, you know, so here I am, and I'm just suddenly there talking to Paul McCartney. Next thing you know, we're having lunch out front, which we did a few times, and he invited me in. I actually was invited to the uh, listening there in the studio of Egypt Station. Okay. And so he's only got some, like, record company people there. There weren't over, like, a dozen maybe 14 people there and it was in the studio and the equipment was still out in the live room and they were doing it in this big iso booth and they had these speakers set up well there was one seat left on this couch there and paul was just wandering around and he said well go ahead have a seat you know so i went and sat down and we start listening to the first song and after a minute Paul comes and sits next to me, but there wasn't really much of a seat there. So he squeezes in between me and somebody else, and he's got his legs crossed and his foot was on my knee. And I was like, and I'm listening to his record, and I was like, do I, do I move my knee? Do I put my hand on his foot? Do I, you know, what do I do here? And so then he keeps leaning over to me saying, so what'd you think of that one? And it's like, Oh, I never was a Beatles fan. What am I going to say? I mean, I was like, yeah. you know, I mean, I loved, I loved it. And uh, every time I didn't know what to say. And that's when I turned into Chris Farley. It's like, yeah, you know, I love that. You know, oh, that's, so, that's brilliant. anyway, he, I listened to the record with him. And after that, I had been given a thing by a collector. I was given the, uh, uh, the motherboards, the original plates that Revolver was made from by a Beatle collector who's a friend of ours who we've done charity work for. Mm. And he said, you've done so much for us, I have to give you something special. He gives me these, authenticated, and I thought, I brought them to the studio one day when we're still recording over there, and I told Keith, uh, who works for Paul, he's his guitar tech and then everything else, right-hand guy, and I, I said, Keith, I got something for Paul. It may be weird. I don't know. You may like it. So I went over and I explained to Paul what it was. And he goes, oh, my God, are you kidding me? And I said, I want you to have them because, I mean, you should have them. You know? <laughs> and so I give him those. And then he wrote me a note on the studio stationery. He drew a picture of the, Beatles, uh, the British flag and then wrote something to me and signed it, love Paul and all this kind of stuff, which is framed in our studio now. But that's the guy I know. Uh, I had a brush with Ringo on the phone. Joe Walsh, who's Ringo's brother-in-law yeah. now, is a guy I've known for a long time. And we were doing a song at A&M. And I was wondering, it was I can't remember what song, uh, And I Love Her, or one of those sort of ballad songs. Uh, it was, there weren't really drums to speak of, but like tambourine, but it was the, matches he was shaking the matches okay instead of a tambourine i was wondering what is that he's doing i called joe walsh and i asked him i said can you ask ringo what that is and he said it was a big box of matches and there i can't remember the name of them but i think they're blue tip matches from over there you know we don't really have them and so ringo told me through joe walsh how to get that sound so that's my brush with ringo and did you use the did you did you follow it through and get the matches on the recording? 
we didn't have those kind of matches. I think they're only over there. So evidently, the matches we have over here don't sound like that. No, they, they didn't make you sound like Ringo. That's that's fair enough. It did not. Yes, but but I, I, it did make me sound like Ringo when Jeff Emmerich had me put a tea towel on the snare and had me play a bass drum on a cardboard box with a mallet. Yeah, it's, that did sound right. I, I just think it's great in it when you when you meet these people and who have meant so much to you and and they're lovely. I mean, Paul. Um, it, it's he, last time he played because he played in 1999, which was a huge, it's a huge turning point when Paul played the Cavern Club in 99. It almost gave the Cavern its credibility back after you know it's it's not the original Cavern, it's not this, it's on the original address. It was rebuilt. Him coming back was huge for us in 99, and I was there as as I was invited to that when I wasn't involved in the company in 2018 when he came back. I was involved, but that was the album that he was promoting at the time, Egypt Station. So it's that same mm-hmm. time. Some great tracks on that. And oh, yeah. We had that same thing um, where, where we're sitting there, you know, we're at the back, we're waiting. So it's like waiting for, um, you know, the, the, for God to arrive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're already, and he just casually walks into the, the, the room you were in in July and just says, you know, hello, everyone okay? And then, just next thing, he's on the stage and he's on our crappy little stage doing, of course, he's doing like an hour and a half sound check. So, he's, you know, right. we got we got all the songs, which half of them he didn't even play the set. And then next thing, he's on stage and he did, he did about two hours, 15 on the back room wow. cavern stage. It was a, it was practically like an arena show. Um, wow. And he was, he was, he's just, he puts everybody at ease as well. I think that's the thing. He's so... He's so normal. I think he has that. He has his public Paul McCartney, which is yeah, you know, that's great. And I'm going to do the impression anyway. Every time you, every time you were saying about his, his his leg was getting nearer to you, I thought I thought you were going to do the McCartney voice. I just put right, my leg oh, just no, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but no, he, he's great. And for us, that was like a huge, you know, again, you know, a stamp of approval. Paul McCartney coming back. Um, question for you: Did Jay ask you about? your three Liverpool songs that you would add to our playlist. We've got a Cavern podcast playlist. Um, and hopefully, uh, you, you both, or between you, three three songs by three Liverpool Merseyside artists that have to go on our, our, our playlist. What's it going to be? Well, I have to say, mine are going to seem like too obvious, but it comes from my childhood. As opposed to going through songs that, oh yeah, later on, I mean, I love, you know, Strawberry Fields and A Day in the Life and all these different songs along. And then there are newer bands from Liverpool that, you know, I I was going to get fancy at first, but I decided to stick with the things that made me think of uh, Liverpool and still do. And uh, first and foremost, I would say I want to hold your hand because that was the one. It's the first one that we had over here. I mean, that was the one that struck us, and we saw him do it on Ed Sullivan. And it was the first single that I ever bought with my own, you know, allowance. You know, yeah. forty nine cents or whatever the forty five was, and to go in there and buy that myself and that orange and yellow capital label and uh, putting that on my little record player. So I want to hold your hand, which I think is one of the greatest 
rock and roll singles ever. It just it, you, it's so exciting and so it it's grabs a, it's you. A me, it was, it's immediate as well, isn't it? It's exciting oh, yeah. and immediate straight away. Yeah. So that that says Beatles for me, and the second is would be Fairy Cross of Mercy because of my experience and how Fairy Cross of Mercy just has that sort of sweet melancholy feeling to it that you know a lot of Jerry Marsden's songs were like that. Don't let the Don't sun let catch the sun you crying. It's just no, whoa, exactly whoa, a wonderful. Oh, it's song. so every time I hear it and. Yeah. Uh, but Fairy Cross of Mercy simply because I, the Mersey beat and the Mersey sound and, and knowing Jerry has to be. And the third one is another Beatle one that I, I, I just, it's the song that made me want to move to England, right. uh, which I haven't done yet, but, <laughs> but uh, Penny Lane. Okay. Penny Lane is the thing that takes me right there and it makes me think about the neighborhood's it's, they it's, it's, a, it's a very visual song, isn't it? You can see yes, the places. Exactly. You can, I mean, we yeah. we sort of take it for granted because we live here. But right. that music, I mean, that was I mean, that, that whole strawberry fields as well. But that Penny Lane just took them right back, and you can you can yeah. see every, every that that was their upbringing. Um, yes, we took that tour. We just said we're just going to be you know out and out tourists. We don't care. We, you know, we'll we'll look silly. So we went on the magic magical mystery tour. And uh, I, I admit that I took a few stones off the Eleanor Rigby grave. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Neil gave me a brick from the old cavern that oh, I really? still have. Okay. Well, N- and, Neil's uh, a great guard. He, he would have given you the proper Beatles tour there. Oh, yeah. He, he was awesome. And, of course, he was there this time when we played. But uh, we went on that tour, and, uh, you know, you get out and take a picture by the Penny Lane sign on the corner there. And I wrote I wrote my name on the on the bricks on the wall there at the Strawberry Fields, you right. know, with everybody else and stuff. So I did the whole tourist thing. It was, uh, and when it comes to Liverpool and that music scene and the the Beatles and beyond, I mean, any of it in the cavern, I, I have no shame. I, I'll I'll act like a tourist all day long, you know. I did the same in Graceland's or me and Paul actually did. I did the same in Sun Studios in Graceland's. We recorded in Sun about a year ago. We did some oh, stuff nice. for my, my acoustic session because it's it's exactly the same. You know, that's yeah. I, I'm going there. I'm going to be a tourist. Sure. It's got to be absolutely. J, JD, did you did you get the memo about the three songs? I did, and hopefully uh, 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 three Liverpool songs. What? Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's hard for me to uh, pick other ones other than Beatles songs. Um, but, you know, I wanted to kind of branch, I wanted to branch out a little bit. I want to start with Lovely Rita. I, for okay. some reason, that song's always been one of my favorites. Um, I, I love the sound of it. And I think the lyrics are just funny. And it's like the same as when I was five years old. I thought the song was funny then. And I yeah, still think it's, it's a quirky funny. one. Yeah, it's a very quirky um, one, though. <laughs> and then uh you know i've always been a uh a george harrison fan even when you know working with jeff he would tell us you know eh, he, he was he you could tell he wasn't a big fan of george or as much of a fan of george as uh you know paul but uh you know like my sweet lord I, i've always been a big fan of you know you know because i'm a, rec- a recording nerd and okay. so that kind of mix of, you know, Phil Spector with the Beatles that, you know, that 
is you know a big fun yeah, thing for me. It's, it's a great song and a great. And then yeah, it's even if he ripped it off from uh, you know that other song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. But the Renettes was at the Renettes or so. I just, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, so fine. Exactly one one of those. So uh, yeah, yeah. The Chiffo- yeah, exactly. Um, and then I was like, oh, let's let's get a let's get a newer one. Um, and then I, you know, Billy and I are both huge fans of the, the Wilburys. And so, you know, since George was kind of the driving force of the traveling Wilburys, you know, handle with care, you know, was yeah, kind of the start absolutely. of that whole group. And so I thought I'd pick that just to, just to do something, you know, a little. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, I, you can't I, exactly call it current, <laughs> but it's, you know, it, it's. And and the Wilburys, you know, had so many of our favorite, you know, people. So it's like I, I'm I a bit, like I'm that. a I'm a, hu- I'm a huge Roy Orbison fan. I used to be an actor, and I I toured. I don't know if you've ever done a long <laughs> run in theatre, um, Billy Bob, but I toured for twelve months in the Roy Orbison musical, and I started wow. off as a Roy Orbison musical music oh fan. But after eight shows a week for twelve months. It took a, it was a while before I could listen to the stuff again. But you know, <laughs> but Roy Orbison, the fact you know, the fact that they got they got Roy to be in their band, you know, do you want to be in a, that's fantastic. What what a band. Great choices. Uh, from, interestingly, for JD, for you doing the cavern, obviously you played 2002. did it mean did it mean the same to you? Was it a was it a big I, I presume it was a big thing same when the cavern's on the on the tour sheet. It was huge. I mean, um, it was, it was, it was super special and, you know, I, I'm really sad that we were only in Liverpool one day, you know, we got yeah. to, on this tour, we got to spend a couple of days in each city and Liverpool was the only stop where we only had one day there and That's we had to planning. do, um, you know, some stuff during the day. Yeah. Well, it's my fault. I wanted to do a show in London as well, and the only place to do a show in London was the day before Liverpool. Okay, yeah, um, because originally they didn't Sunday. have us playing in London. Where, where did you play in London? London, out of interest, like the garage, as oh, we yeah. call it, the garage, yeah. as you call it. Yeah, yeah, the, the, or in Liverpool, <laughs> the garage. It's in the garage. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, all that means is, fellas, you've got you've got to come back to Liverpool and spend a, yeah. a few more times and catch up with Jerry's family. Catch up oh, with yeah. us a lot, and uh, I'm I'm I've I'm I'm going to wrap things up now because I'm, I'll let you get on with your day. And I'm so inspired that on that we're recording this on a Monday night, and we do an original music open mic in the Cavern Pub. I don't know if you went over to the Cavern Pub, the, the pub that we've got over the road from the club, and we've yeah, got right. <clears throat> we've got a songwriter's night. It's been going for about twelve years, and it's called the Monday Night Club. Funnily enough, and it's a real creative hub. There's songwriters, there's poets, there's we've had plays on there. And I'm so inspired after this conversation. I might go and grab one of the guitars and go and play a few songs over there. So I, I shall raise a drink for oh, you yes. at, at the bar. Tell them I've been ch- talking to the Boxmasters. Uh, but please do come back to Liverpool, hopefully get over here, especially, you know, 85% English, which is more That's than right. me. I think I'm Scottish and Irish somewhere. But um, thanks very much, That's fellas. Right, it's been great. And, uh, Thank you. Best of luck with the, the next album. Just keep... Uh, t- oh, but this will be album 18, the next one. You had about 17 albums, 14. 
Well, I think so. 17 maybe is the next one. Yeah, we've got two in the can already. And uh, the, label, the label will only put one a year out. So we have to find other ways. We have, I may as well tell you this, we have a concept record that we did. It's a two-volume concept record. Uh, and it's not by Ecclesiastes. It is the Boxmasters. <laughs> and uh, it, uh, we're thinking about putting that out just on our website before right. Christmas, just to have our fans have something because our next record doesn't come out till next fall. So you may, you know, keep an eye. We'll send you one. Yeah, uh, that'd be it, great. It's, uh, it's called Stranded in a Stain. Okay. And uh, it's a, a little different than what we normally sound like. It's a little, little darker, a little more Pink Floydy than okay. Beatles. Maybe you, you, as, as yeah. long as as long as on the cover you've got the satin jackets with which undone with your, right. <laughs> your chest out. That's fine. And, and, exactly. and a few violins and whistles. Uh, listen, guys, yeah. it's been great. We haven't done the artwork yet, so that's a good idea. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> you've got you've got the cover. Give those boys in the studio there with you a hug from us and. And when you see Neil, will you please give him one as well? Absolutely. And I would say hello to the Marsden family. And uh, it's been great. Please. Really enjoyed it. We're going to go for a quick pint in the pub, sing a few songs, nice. and we'll catch up and see you in Liverpool. Thanks for being on Perfect. the Cavern Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Cavern Podcast. And we hope you enjoyed it. Remember, we can't do this without you, the audience. So please like, share, subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, get involved on our socials and tell us your cavern stories. Join us next time on the Cavern Podcast.